a fire on the mountain burning out of control. The sky is set ablaze in all its red and gold. The temperature's rising and the wind is blowing hot. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. We gotta turn this ship around before we run aground. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hurd here on WKXLAM and FM. Streamed live at nhtalkradio.com, where we are archived for your binge-listening pleasure. We're also a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes for those of you with 21st century adaptation to screens large and small. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and find out all about the Birches at Concord by calling 224-9111. Well, it's been another wild week in American history, to say the least. Things are hot and heavy with the Mueller report, with the president saying that he has been totally absolved, completely exonerated, and his various toadies going on the various media to try to peddle that problem to an American electorate which may be a little confused because, as we now see clearly, the Mueller report does nothing of the sort. In fact, it says expressly the president is not exonerated. Uh, The report provides a roadmap for Congress, and my former colleagues in Congress have begun to flex their investigative muscles. Richie Neal at Ways and Means is pressing for tax returns. The president is trying to sue to prevent the tax returns um, and other financial data from being revealed. Maxine Waters is on, on it with the Deutsche Bank, and Deutsche Bank has begun the process of providing information about the president's business and financial affairs with Deutsche Bank to the Southern District of New York. Jerry Nadler uh, at Judiciary is moving deliberately and has now said essentially that impeachment is on the table. And we haven't heard all that much from Adam Schiff, but it remains clear that the foreign interference in the United States elections of 2016 was profound, a long-standing, deep-running, and highly successful effort to interfere in our elections. Our president, of course, refuses to acknowledge that and apparently, according to AIDS, when has uh, who warned people not to even broach the subject to the president because it made him too upset. It made him too upset because he feared that it would call into question the legitimacy of his presidency. Well, let's call into question the legitimacy of his presidency because if a president ascends to office on the backs of foreign national adversaries who interfere in our elections, is it really a real election or was something truly amiss. His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, was heard claiming that the Russian interference was nothing more than a few Facebook ads. However, we know clearly that it was a long-standing concerted effort of promoting uh, websites with lots of ads. 126 million Americans were reached by the Russian interference in our elections. So, folks, The 
spirit of America has been sorely tested. The soul of the nation is in peril. The foundations of our democracy are shaken to the core in ways that our founders predicted way back when, when they feared that some tyrannical, fascist-leaning, authoritarian-seeking tyrant could ascend to office on the fears of the populace, pull the wool over our eyes, and do great damage to us. It's all happening, but thankfully, the checks and balances may be working. Uh, The fact that the 2018 elections produced a democratic control of the House of Representatives is working to the advantage of our democratic institutions. And while the wheels of justice grind slow, the wheels of justice do grind. So as we continue to watch, look, listen, and hope that the foundations of our democracy will be salvaged, I am very pleased to welcome two special guests to Off the Record. I'm welcoming Stuart Weeks, uh, the founder of uh, the Center for American Studies at Concord. Stuart Sinclair Weeks, welcome to Off the Record. Thank you. And Richard Kotlitz, who is a trustee of the Center for American Studies at Concord. And both of them are involved with a new movement called We the People. Uh, Welcome to Off the Record to both of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. We the people, the citizens' movement to revive the spirit of public service. Well, that couldn't be be happening at a better moment in American history because we are at, I think, an inflection point in our history, Stuart. I I have to tell you, I remember uh, as a freshman congressman sitting with Barack Obama in my crummy office high atop uh, the Cannon office building in my v- with my vinyl furniture when he came to court me as a supporter uh, for his presidential campaign, which at the time was nascent. He hadn't yet announced. And he said, you know, I think America's at an inflection point. And um, he may have been right, but he may have been off by uh, a decade or so. And it may be that the nadir of uh, tyrannical authoritarianism, which has now occupied the White House, and I use the word occupied uh, in all its redolent sense of something which uh, may not be entirely uh, legitimate or happy for the American democracy, has in fact occurred, and maybe this is the inflection point for American democracy that uh, President Obama was talking about, and maybe this is the time uh, when patriots must arise to return to a sense of public service. Uh, Richard, tell me, um, uh, welcome. Welcome to Off the Glad Record. Glad to be here. <laughs> and uh, how did you come to be involved with the Center for American Studies and We the People? Through this guy. Actually, uh, I'm originally from Chicago. Uh-huh. Moved to Minnesota in 1979. Uh, moved up to the Canadian border and had a 300-acre earth shelter homestead. Lived underground. And... Uh, at some point, actually in 1988, during the Jesse Jackson campaign, I, you know, I was living like a hermit. I, was just, I had a three-quarter mile drive. I was around nobody, no CR light, no nothing. And I had this impulse to get back into the world. 
and uh, so I started to travel to uh, the Twin Cities for Rainbow Coalition meetings. Uh, I met Paul Wellstone, who you probably know who I'm talking about. We became good friends. I became. He assigned me his. He called me his campaign manager in the Senate, run for the Northern Tier of Minnesota. That was a little bit of a euphemism. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it wasn't as big a title. I was the guy that would, that would he could get the volunteer to run up and down the ditches and ask farmers if we could put a yard sign in their ditch. So that's that was my contribution on that's, that one. That's what a good campaign manager does. I know. Well, that's that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, But we got to be good friends. Yeah. And I bought my word for first word processor to communicate with him because we actually live opposite corners of the states, about 400 miles apart. And a lot of things just took off from there. Eventually, I met Stuart. I became involved at the Concord, the work in Concord, the Transcendentalist work in Concord. And this is Concord, Massachusetts, right. yeah. although akin to Concord, New Hampshire. And uh, I started traveling, but I started to, I, I had an epiphany in the middle of a farm field, in the middle of the night in northern Minnesota, about money. And a question dropped on my head as just like, uh, it's like it was my road to Damascus experience, we might say, mm-hmm. a little less dramatic. Mm-hmm. But um, a, a mission dropped on my life. The, the mission was in the form of a question, what is money? And that's taken over my life and uh, in many, many ways. I won't tell you all the stories here. But, but I've been have I've nearly been enough time for all and, the stories. And let me jump in here, if I may, Paul. Is sure. that okay? Because Rich is a veritable raconteur. And um, I wanted to go back to what you said in terms of Trump, whose First Nation victory began here in New Hampshire. So we put him into the White House. And as you were speaking, um, it occurred to me that the story of our land isn't a play, and, it, and it's not play, but it's a drama. And when one has a drama, if it's to be a real drama, after all, we have our American dream, which suggests we're asleep, we the people are asleep, we need to wake up from our American dream. A play won't do it. Play doesn't do it. But a drama can. However, to have a drama, you need not only good guys. If we were, if we were co-producing this drama, you know, we'd have an auditorium and we'd ask people to raise their hands who wanted to be the good guys, and we'd get that cast set. But for it to be a drama as opposed to play, we also need some bad guys to wake us up, to get us to the edge of our seats. And those bad guys have got to be good. They've got to be really good. They've got to be good bad guys. They've got to be good actors Mm. in the drama. I was invited to a small meeting by CNN with President, well, now then-candidate Trump, when he was on the campaign trail in Manchester. And at the end, I went up to him, and I said to him, what would be the toughest thing for you if you were elected president, if you were in the Oval Office? And he said, he paused for a moment, and he said, letting people go. And I found myself, Paul, putting my hands on his heart. And I said, Donald, you have a good heart. And he said, yes, he said, I have a good heart. And I said, you were given. I didn't tell it to to him then, but later in the letter I said, you were given a good heart. This isn't about greatness. This isn't about our country has to be the greatest, the top of the pinnacle, at the expense of everyone else. America is great because America is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she'll cease to be great. So when you describe Trump, this actor, in this drama, what came to me are the words we all know, God bless him, 
and keep him and let his light shine down upon him. Well, I appreciate your magnanimity, your sense of grace and forgiveness, uh, and your appreciation for the light that lives in each one of us, even in the heart of President Trump, uh, with whom I disagree profoundly in terms of policies. I have no a doubt that each soul on earth contains within it uh, great light and only waiting to be revealed. And um, there are uh, certainly uh, uh, there are lots of uh, lots of evidence that all of that light is uh, is uh, is just waiting to uh, to to shine. One of the things I'm curious about, Stuart, is um, I know a little bit about your background, a very little bit. I know, for example, that uh, you're the father of a uh, favorite of mine, a guy named Dan Weeks, who's been at the microphone where you're now sitting often. He and I uh, have talked about uh, renewable energy. He and I have talked about campaign finance reform. He uh, has been a candidate for office here in New Hampshire. And clearly the um, uh, philosophical apple hasn't fallen all that far from the tree. Um, and I will be curious, uh, after we take a very short break, because believe it or not, we're up upon uh, a short break, um, to hear a little bit about your background, which I understand stretches back many generations in terms of a service to our country, so that it strikes me you come by your generosity of spirit um, quite honestly, and I'd like to hear a little bit about it. We're talking with um, Stuart Weeks, Stuart Sinclair Weeks, and Richard Kotlitz here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com. We are an a podcast on Google and Stitcher and iTunes for you 21st century folks who would rather do all this on your computers or your cell phones or your tablets. And we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're going to take a short break to hear from others and then we'll be back with more Off the Record with Paul Hodes, with Stuart Sinclair Weeks and Richard Cotlitz. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live at nhtalkradio.com. 
Com, where we are archived for your binge listening pleasure. You can find all our past shows, my rants and ravings, my interviews, great music, great tunes, great fun. We're also a podcast on Google and Stitcher and iTunes. We're brought to you by The Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can join a tour and celebrate life at The Birches by calling 224-9111. I am joined in this segment of Off the Record, as I was in our opening segment by Stuart Sinclair Weeks and Richard Kotlitz, who are here talking about a revival of the American spirit based on the principle and the words enshrined as we the people. Stuart, when we broke before uh, we took our break, we were, I had asked you a little bit about your history. I'm interested um, in uh, what brings us here today, but uh, I'm always interested in, in, in what what has formed what has formed you and your opinions and because i know that you have a deep and lengthy american history um, i'm very curious if you would tell us a little bit about your forebears their service to the country and what has brought you to the we the people movement thank you paul be glad to and then i want to pass the ball back to my colleague here richard who has some important information, illumination to share with us about the reality of what debt is. But before that, to your question, um, it's interesting the families we're born into. Ours, the last eight generations have served in state or national office, from cabinet secretaries, senators, congressmen, to state representatives, on both sides of the aisle. So I could be called an interdependent republicrat. Um, I actually think that the party's over. Um, and I say that with all due respects to any party members, but I think we have to catch up to not just Washington, who spoke of the baneful influence of parties, but uh, Bell, old Ben Franklin, who started a movement, what he called his great and extensive project that had to do with the United Movement, or he used the word party, but he meant it as a movement for virtue. Um, his celebrated virtues. Um, and as you say that, I don't mean to interrupt, but certainly the Constitution doesn't talk about parties. And uh, we were warned early on in our history by the founder, so to speak, of uh, the, fir the first president of our republic, by George Washington, who uh, thought parties were uh, going to be a bane on the system. And here we are today with great polarization. Entrenched. Uh, entrenched with... Uh, uh, people uh, really playing out what here more like tribal affliction than uh, statesmanship. Yes, indeed. Well, as I said, I think the party's over. The statistics are that independent voters nearly outnumber Republicans and Democrats together, which says something. And again, I don't mean this critically about anybody whose destiny connects them with the party but um, I think we need to look very clearly at this picture because independence or independence um, can be related first and foremost to independence from big money. And that's the issue, as you know, and as my son Daniel um, addressed. 
What we're doing with, this, with We the People, the Citizens Movement to Revive the Spirit of Public Service is suggesting that candidates that are really committed to public service, that they're clear about that, that they simply assume, declare victory, assume the mantle, and get on with the business of governing, of if it's president, for instance, of presiding. And by that, what I mean is if the people lead, the leaders will follow. This, these are words by Gandhi. And Buckminster Fuller himself, as I sent you this wonderful quote that, um, that um, I sent you early in the day, Buckminster talked about if the system's broken, you know, don't challenge it, just create alongside it another system. So we're quite serious um, Thoreau spoke of the majority of one, of conscience. We're quite serious, and this comes out of, I would say, my legacy of the eight generations I mentioned, Republican and Democrat, that there has to be a new way. And so once again, we are setting up a um, training, training, if you will, in Concord, Massachusetts, out of the spirit of Emerson and Thoreau for political candidates, their parties, you know, prepare them for running for office. We are offering the same thing where we say very simply, if you really are in it for public service, affirm that in yourself. Declare victory, that is victory for we the people. Assume the mantle and govern. Govern. That is address not just the issues, in quote, that distract and divide us, but address the fundamental underlying issue. And this brings us to Richard, um, and that is in an age in which money makes the world go round, every fiscal issue, so healthcare, education, infrastructure, if you will, is at its essence a monetary issue, that is a money issue, or otherwise expressed every issue that has a price tag attached to it is a monetary or money issue, in to repeat an age in which money makes the world go round. The candidates don't speak about this often. Um, because it's also considered the secret science. If one of the former heads of one of New Hampshire's major banks told me the golden rule in banking is he who has the gold rules that control the purse strings. So we speak of this as a fundamental underlying issue that until it's addressed, as William Jennings Bryan said in his Cross of Gold speech, we won't be able to address any of the other issues because we won't have the means to do so. Um, so with that, that is the heart of this, this training, this preparation we offer candidates that aren't polarized by the parties but really are committed to public service focuses on them addressing the fundamental underlying issue. And perhaps, Rich, can you elaborate on this in light of your thoughts as the founder of the Institute for the Redemption of Money? To redeem money is also a financial term. Can you elaborate in terms of the fallacy of debt? Yeah, how many hours do I have? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Let's just <laughs> uh, we'll go till we're done. This this is I mean this is this is the thing that touches upon everything. Um, it's always hard to know where to come in. I can't see who's on the other side of this microphone. It's yeah, well, it's room. just me across from the table. From <clears> and um, just explain it to me and so I'll, and, I'll, and, I, and and help me understand. Okay, I'll get a little while then. Um, you know, it says in in the Bible that we shall, you shall not have make any graven image, or have any gods before me. That's more important to me. 
we've created one and we've given it a name and the name sounds close to death d-e-t-h we just added an a to it or, or took the a out of it we call it debt and, and i guess put a p in it but it's it's close it's it's an it's an it's sort of a false deity a dark deity that we as human beings for whatever reason have have adopted and i'll give you an example of one of my experiences and it'll, this will show you how my how my work with money moves forward it moves forward mostly through my experiences my own intuition and peoples that i talk to conversations i've had i've had thousands of conversations private conversations with people in many parts of the world and, and i've gotten friends even as you know high bankers in wall street stuff like that that will talk about this so i was living in, in my homestead way back in the woods after I had my epiphany about money, and I started, and I said to myself, I'm going to have to be, oh, uh, well, uh, let me just go back in there just a little bit. Uh, I was standing in a field with an in-law, and we were arguing about money and about how the politicians are all crooked and everything's so much in debt, and we're going down the tubes, and then you you know, just to crank, crank, crank the same old stuff, and, and, and I stopped for a moment, and I realized, you know what? I'm really tired of hearing myself, <laughs> and then I and then I said, "Okay, it's always a, it's always a healthy impulse." Uh, well, yeah, and and so then a question came to mind. So I was like, I heard a voice. What is money? Okay, you got all these opinions, you're all this indignation about other people about money. What is money? I couldn't give an answer. I don't know. It, it's made from wood. It doesn't grow on trees, but the f- paper fiber comes from there. The coins, but but what really is money? Can you define it? And I realized that in a quintessential sense, in a in a in a core sense, I couldn't. And so, the the question that hung over my life from then on, it still does, is the question: What is money? And every it's almost every step I take, and every thought I have, and every move I make is still has my radar out. So tell us, Rich, for answering. So, I'm going to Stuart. Good. I tell don't us, think brother. I any longer? He's getting you. there. He's getting there. <laughs> Yeah, and I I have a point to make that I think is going is one that I really wanted to bring. Yeah, right. And that is, there was a presidential campaign going on at the time, as now, and there's a bunch of politicians arguing about the same thing about about what is money, and they're and they're cranking over and over again uh, about how we're falling into debt, and if we don't start paying our deficit that our children are going to have to, and this is all going to be so awful. And it paints an awful picture. I mean, it is it is terrible. It's, it's, it's heavy to hear it. Yeah, you we know? have a $23 trillion uh, debt. See, this is, I'm going to take you on on that number. Okay. <laughs> and um, uh, and, I, and, I, and um, so I said, you know, why? what is it? Why can't we do something about it? And then I heard the guy say, it was some presidential candidate or something, he says... Uh, it's gotten so bad, you know, so many millions of dollars and trillions of dollars. And when you start making trillions and you even divide it by the population, you start coming up with big numbers. And if you took the, and he says, if you took the total debt, and I forget, he has some fantastic Whatever the number, was. number of it. And if you divide it by the number of people in the United States, you come up with the incontrovertible truth that a baby born in the United States now in 19 whatever it was 1988 because that was the year of the campaign uh, is already a quarter of a million dollars in debt mm-hmm. and I just stopped and I said whoa 
And I actually, I, mentally, I tried to put myself into the delivery room where I have babies coming out of the womb. And I wanted to ask somebody a question. I especially wanted to ask the guy, that, the politician that just said this and said he wants to be president. Now, I want you to explain something to me. Where did that baby get the money? <laughs> where is it? What's it? Where is it in a vault somewhere? What's it spent on? What's showing for it now? How, how did he borrow? How is he going to pay for it? What's it going to do to his life? What's it going to do to his future? You know, all kinds of questions. But the very idea that a baby born, an innocent baby into this world, is, tw- is quarter million dollars in debt, is, it's not even a statement. It's, not, I mean, it's crazy. I have a, a friend out in California who, uh, who, who's a college professor, but he does a entertainment gig. He plays like sort of a, a guru in India or something like that where he sits on a mountain with legs crossed and in a nightclub and... <coughs> people, seekers come up to him and ask him the secrets of life and all this sort of stuff. And <coughs> and one yeah, and one night where somebody came up to him and asked him a question about money and how bad it was and all this and that. And he was writing a money, book on money at the time. He would call me all the time and exchange ideas with me. So it was, I was getting, you know, day-by-day feedback. And, was, and he, said, he says, you know what? He says, I felt inspired to say something. And he says... We have come to the point where original sin, most Christians know what that is, has in our society has been replaced by original debt. And I said, that says it. And uh, it's a nonsense statement. I mean, it's crazy. But it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of true. And So uh, do you agree that the United States Treasury uh, has run up a 23 23- trillion dollar national debt no you, you think that's fictitious i think it's, it's fantastically it's not even fictitious it's crazy it's, it's crazy so made up it may be it may be crazy but those who who count pennies would say that over the years um the uh congress of the united states which is responsible for the purse strings of the nation collects taxes um, uh, in with in whatever uh, whatever that means, it, it it tends to be counted at least in what we call dollars and cents, and then uh, appropriates and spends money on various things. And that for years and years, uh, the Congress has spent more than it takes in, uh, whether you spend it or invest it on an annual basis. Spent more than it takes in, in whatever this stuff is, and the result has been that. Uh, having spent more than we take in on a continual basis, and uh, we've been borrowing, um, whatever that may mean, in order to fund the governmental operations. And as citizens and taxpayers of the country, ultimately those obligations um, incurred by our representatives are ours, um, which causes great consternation among the population, including, I might say, me, uh, thinking about the fact that um, you know, I just filled out my taxes, and I just wrote a check uh, on uh, on the uh, on my credit at a bank, uh, which uh, counted up a bunch of numbers and said, "This is what you have in your account." My check represented a certain part of 
uh, that account. It was a representation of that account because the account is is not itself. It, it wasn't like I have a pile of gold coins sitting there, each of which is a physical denominator of value, but uh, it's an account with numbers that somebody is counting up and agreeing. It may be a, 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 um, a concerted joint delusion that um, the accounts mean something, but I paid my taxes to the IRS, so I'm, I'm, I own a piece of that debt. We're going to take a break. We're, this is Off the Record with Paul Hodes. I'm talking uh, with Stuart Sinclair Weeks and Richard Kotlitz here on Off the Record on WKXLIM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. You can call 224-9111. We're going to take a short break and be back with a very, very interesting conversation about... What Richard Kotlitz believes is the fantasy of debt in terms of what really is money and what really, how do we really account for things in Stuart Sinclair Weeks, who's put him up to this, to, to this very interesting explanation. Don't go away. And I might even pipe in. <laughs> We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streamed live over the Internet at nhtalkradio.com, where we're archived for your binge listening pleasure, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches by calling 224-9111. We're here with Stuart Sinclair Weeks and Richard Kotlitz talking about We the People, a movement to revive... The citizenship, the spirit of America, public and service, public service, and statesmanship, uh, and Richard Cotlitz, with whom we're having a conversation about what money really is, what debts and deficits really are, and whether we have them or not. Paul, so, I'm going to jump in here, if I may, and I'm going to bring Ben Franklin, old Ben, who's alive and well, into this picture because our time is precious to try to go to the heart of it. I want to read from the letter. I sent to then-candidate Trump um, that I referred to earlier. And that is the bake. So we're trying to catch up. We're about 303 centuries behind on this. The Bay Colony in 1690 was in deep recession. The unemployed filled the streets despite the fact that most were able and willing to work. Resources, including shops, raw materials, land, and machinery, lay idle despite the fact that they were available, fertile, and in good repair. Goods and services were in demand, despite the fact that given the foregoing, they remain unproduced. Human hands, hearts, and minds, labor, land, that is natural resources, everything was readily available except for one thing, capital, money, as noted the necessary medium of exchange, the very lifeblood of our system that greases the wheels. Faced with ever-worsening economic prospects, the citizens of the Bay Colony, again, we have th almost three centuries to catch up with these folks, chose to exercise not only their fundamental right, but their responsibility as a sovereign body to create and print the colony's own money bills of credit, as opposed to borrowing their lifeblood from foreign, that is, British moneylenders and financiers at exorbitant rates. 
In doing so, the Bay Colony made clear their refusal to go thereby ever deeper into debt. Through this act, the Mass- Massachusetts became the first non-native government in the Western world, 1690, to issue its own paper currency as a public utility or service, that is, a currency to facilitate the exchange of goods and services among the citizens that was not backed by gold, interest-bearing bonds, or other not or other debt-based instruments. The Bay Colony's creation, issuance, and becoming to Ben Franklin now of its bills of credit not only pulled it out of the recession, and we could do this today if we could catch up with three centuries, but also set the colony on the road to prosperity. Accordingly, Massachusetts' successful experiment with creating and issuing its own public currency became a model for the other colonies. And accordingly, great efforts were subsequently and understandably made, as we'll see, to misrepresent, this is by England, and thereby discredit the bills of credit. This assumption of, that is, this assumption of sovereignty by the people so that, it would, so that it would not be resorted to in the future. When Ben Franklin was asked how he could explain the resultant fortunes that arose, and we're in the same situation today, he noted, this is simple. It's only because in the colonies, we, the legislatures, issue our own money, public money, not the debt dollars from our Federal Reserve System, God bless it, issue our own money. It is called colonial script, and we issue it in, and this is key, in proper proportion to the demand of trade and industry. That is not too little or too much, which leads to deflation or inflation. So I wanted to bring this forward that we have 300 years nearly to catch up on, and this could be done in the wink of an eye today if we understand what money is and what our founders meant in the Constitution when they talked about Congress as the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof. It's been the, you know, the tug of wars for the control of the purse strings, private interests versus public interests. And in this respect, I wanted to um, go back to two comments that were sent from colleagues, participants in the citizens' movement to revive the spirit of public service. The first um, I shared with you before, Paul, that is from Joel Went, his piece on the nature of public life who ran twice for president as a voice of we the people. He said, the only real coin of any value passed between the citizens of a nation and their public servants is the truth, including the truth of money, which Richard has written extensively on in a very significant way. With that coin that is truth in circulation, nothing is impossible to such a people. For truth leads to trust, and it is mutual trust that binds us together into a whole. And the second words are addressed to a candidate you may have heard of, um, Paul, named Marion Williamson, but actually to all of the candidates. And this is what Ted Hall, whose roots also go back to the beginning of the country, and who is one of the mast, not just the masterminds, but the heart and soul of the Occupy Wall Street movement. That is, he was um, really at the heart and soul of it, which was a labor of love. And there were tensions there because there were those that are trying to, you know, to, to take the enemy down, but not Ted. And this is what Ted wrote to Marianne Williamson. However, it is addressed to all of the candidates. 
and it ties in with party and big money and, and the whole question of debt, which perhaps we'll have to go into more length another time. But he, wrote, he writes, Dearest Sister Marianne Williamson, I send this prayer to you through our brother Stuart Weeks with salutations and praise for all the hard work you're doing for humanity and our precious and afflicted nation. As a primary organizer of Occupy Wall Street, whose family helped found the United States, I send you the utmost admiration and praise with this one prayer for the highest realization of the great role you are playing in exercising the multiple spiritual diseases at the heart of America's reckoning. That prayer is that you may free yourself and those who lovingly support you in pure intention from the snare of partisanship, of the parties which George Washington unequivocally warned us would be a primary cause of our downfall should we fall into them. And this is where the citizens' movement, we the people, to revive the spirit of public service comes in. But there are many impulses out there, not just ours. Many people are carrying this question. So he continues and concludes, This wiki synopsis of Washington's sacrificial warning is a good start to a full study worth any candidate's full attention. As Washington states, our founding father, the father of our nation, political parties eventually and, quote, gradually incline the minds of men to seek security in the absolute power of an individual. And Wikipedia hits it home in stating Washington's prescient warning that distract the government from their duties, create unfounded jealousies among groups and regions, raise false alarms among the people, promote riots and insurrection, and provide foreign nations and interests access to the government where they can impose their will upon the country. Concluding, I believe for you to fully realize your mission, Marianne, you must set the stage for America's abandonment of the factional party system as a mode for political expression. With all due respects to our brothers and sisters, Democrat, Republican. With all due respects, I'm adding that myself. This is a route of truly changing the political discourse, awakening political conscience and heightening the collective consciousness about any issue. Colored by party loyalty, any good effort sows its own seeds of doom. If we appreciate each party but disagree that the dialectic progress through conflict, truth through debate is valid in any sense, then we can truly unite around transcended solutions that practically address the core issues which local elections can begin to reflect through independent political support. You are carrying, Marianne, the torch of a cultural awakening conscience of women speaking out of the destined spiritualization of our country which is at its heart and which supports and rallies the army of principles which humanity and life on earth, life, depend on. I pray you are supported to go all the way to completely transcend the podium you stand upon for all of us. We need that voice. I thank you for your voice, your living prayer, and that God sends you the means to be that key which liberates our political spiritual awakening from the snares of the parties so the good within each party may be reinforced and the basis of the independent pillars of America's new superstructure can come together organically and relieved of their multi-century burden of factionalism. So, Stuart, I want to first be clear with my listeners that um, nothing that 
um, we're discussing implies the uh, endorsement of, of, of any candidate or is even about a candidate. We're talking about a movement which uh, you and Richard Kotlitz are involved with um, to uh, called We the People um, to, uh, as I see it, revive the um, true American spirit to bring forth a sense of uh, statesmanship uh, and public service. And public service. So, uh, and I equate statesmanship and public service because, for me, uh, a sense of uh, the, a true public servant is someone who puts the uh, interests of country, in this case, uh, if we're talking about federal elected officials, the interests of country uh, above those of uh, any individual or that representative's own individual interests, or if they happen to belong to a party, uh, above their party's interests. And it's something which I believe is sorely lacking in our uh, representation and in the system of government that has evolved, uh, in large part, as I see it, because um, we are in the throes and the grip of a corporate aristocracy or a corporate ar uh, oligarchy where dark money and silent money and non-transparency, especially since Citizens United has come to rule, but even before that, uh, the pursuit of campaign finances and ever-increasing amounts to finance campaigns, um, as I experienced, uh, can can be a deeply uh, corrupting influence on those who the people elect to represent them. And we've been in a cycle of people hoping that their elected representatives will change and be different. Uh, unfortunately, when the uh, current system of campaign financing exists, when policies of longstanding have gone to advantage the very, very wealthy, who's, um, who, and, and we've now got uh, the kind of wealth inequality in this country, uh, where, which we have not seen for, for many years, which in and of itself threatens um, the democracy. You get a disquiet, a fear, and anxiety among the people, which in this case resulted um, in my view, in the election of Donald Trump, who pandered uh, to fears very well. The movement We the People um, uh, sounds like a really important way to wake up America. Uh, and there certainly is an interesting dis discussion to be had about debts, deficits, financing, uh, and ultimately what our concepts are and, and how they relate. We're going to have to continue that at another time. It's a fascinating conversation, and I want to thank you both for being here. Uh, Richard, thank you, and Stuart, thank you for joining me on Off the Record. A pleasure. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL. I want to thank our great sponsor, The Birches at Concord. Thanks to you all for listening. We'll be back next week with more Off the Record on WKXL AM and FM. <laughs>